welcome to another Jew and Gentile podcast. I am your host, Chris Katolka, and with me is none other than the Jewish sage himself, the one, the only, Mr. Steve Herzig. Steve, AI has given us some great tools for marketing the podcast. Why don't you take it away? This is AI speaking, not me, Chris. This is AI Steve. This is AI Steve. (laughs) Welcome to the Jew and Gentile podcast, where we bridge conversations, build community across diverse backgrounds. I'm Steve, and joining me is my co-host, Chris. Together, we dive deep into topics that matter, fostering understanding and unity between Jew and Gentile alike. If you're enjoying our journey, I don't imagine how you could <laughs> be doing that. turning off. But together, we have a special invitation for you. Remember, this is AI speaking. Head over to our FOI Equip YouTube page and hit subscribe to not only subscribe, su- subscribe to not only support us, but also get access to exclusive content. It's of true. course it's exclusive. Who else would want it? <laughs> it's so exclusive that nobody wants to deal with this. That's right. Behind the scenes looks and more. Don't forget to also subscribe to the Jew and Gentile podcast on your favorite podcast platform to never miss, even though they want to miss this one, yeah. <laughs> never miss an episode. And here's something exciting. It's true. Nothing's this, exciting at all. This here's, is here's exciting. Here's the first thing. Uh, to our dedicated listeners with a minimum donation of $10, you're not just supporting the podcast, you're also getting a unique piece of it. Picture this. I vase me. <laughs> Your morning coffee, but with Steve and Chris's faces smiling back at you from your mug. That's enough to kill anybody. That's right. Donate $10 or more, and we'll send you a special mug featuring our faces as a thank you for support and to keep us all connected with every sip. Your contributions help us continue these important conversations and keep the dialogue between Jew and Gentile open and vibrant. It doesn't realize that you and I actually agree on a lot of things. (laughs) To donate, simply follow the link on your show notes. Show notes. The show notes. We now know what the show notes are. Everybody knows where to go with the show notes To visit our website. Thank you for being part of our community. Now let's dive into today's topic. Here we are. Hey, you know what the highball says? The high, not highball. What's, what's the highball say? You know, the question is, after you reading that, are we going to have a great show? And the- Is there anybody listening? <laughs> All seven of them went kaput. They said, what are these guys just reading stuff? Yeah, You know what's funny is that people, sometimes whenever they ask about how we do the podcast, they go, so you guys prepare for this. You write stuff down. That's what it would sound like if we wrote stuff down. People they know we don't prepare. They would have dumped the podcast a long time ago. But the highball tells us how this show is going to be. Are you ready? Aye. You tell me, Einstein. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, highball. A word from highball. We remember that's a gift from one of our listeners. Uh, 100%. Hey, um, really quick, a big shout out to a listener who we were just talking on the phone with, one of our seven, Eleanor. In North Carolina, Eleanor is... We thank God for Eleanor. Eleanor is an amazing woman um, who has really uh, been a part of our team at Friends of Israel for a long time, supporting us, praying for us, encouraging us in so many ways. And so we were just talking to her on the phone, and I said, Eleanor, you got to listen to the next podcast because we're going to give you a big shout out. And when I asked her, do you think we're funny at all? She was like, meh. <laughs> no, she said. Now, Eleanor she was one of our early investors in Eternity. 
as she gave us uh, some uh, money uh, in order for us to do some of the things we wanted to do in Equip. And as a result of her being a foundation stone, if you will, to what we wanted to do, I believe the Lord has really blessed as he start up money from Eleanor to a number of different people now that spans the United States mm-hmm. in North America. Uh, and so, yeah, Eleanor deserves a shout out. I know she wouldn't want one, nope. uh, but we'll give it to her anyway. God gets the glory, but we're thankful for Eleanor. Just amazing. Steve, um, why don't you give us an update? How's your family holding up? I've gotten so many great responses. Uh, I don't know if you rem- uh, if you know what the last podcast, you know what I called it. No, I don't. Oh, you no. don't. You don't know. Okay, hold on. Let me see. Let me bring it up. But really I quick. do know. Notice what I'm wearing, Chris. Yeah, please tell for the people who are watching, they can see your pin. Yeah, but tell right. people this is this is who a, are not watching a, a pin for Shiva. Shiva means seven uh, seven days uh, when an immediate family member passes uh, at the funeral. They instead of ripping your garments like in the Old Testament, they'd rip their garments whenever there was great grief, great anguish. The prophets did it when the Israelites sinned. The prophets were so angry, uh, anguish, hurting, uh, mourning. They'd rip their garments. Well, you know, clothes are worth a substantial amount. So for both my sisters and myself, we got a little black ribbon uh, that we pinned to our clothing. And then we stand up the rabbi comes over and rips the ribbon. Mm. So the ribbon is ripped because of great mourning. And you wear that seven days. And so my mother passed on Thursday. So today's the last day of that. And I do this in honor of my mom. I know it doesn't matter to her now because for those of you who listened last week, I'll tell, remind you that uh, what a blessing to know that my mother, uh, right before she died, hours before received Christ as her Savior that's and amazing. Messiah. So that's great news. But again, we're, we're, the whole thing was Jewish. Uh, it was observant, traditional Judaism. So I wear this in honor of her. Yeah, so for our um, for our listeners, uh, Steve's mom passed away last week. Yes. And then um, this week, another Steve, uh, who has a, a position of leadership at Friends of Israel, he's the executive vice president, his mother who was 93, I believe. 91. 91, passed away. And, you know, um, it's ama- this is where the grace is seen, the grace of God is seen, is that uh, Steve Conover's mom passed away, uh, and she was a faithful Christian for her entire life, and she is standing in the presence of her Savior right now. Your mother had but moments left and accepted the Lord Jesus, and she is standing with Steve's mom right now. Exactly. It is the amazing, and uh, there's even a parable that speaks to this, the, the the ones who get paid for doing work, and the idea that up to the very last minute, God is pay, you know giving the same amount of grace to everybody up until the moment uh, that they're alive. And, and here are both of your moms standing in the presence of Jesus, and one believed her whole life, and one up to the very last minute, but there they are together standing before it, Jesus. It is God's grace, and it is just like the one of the uh, persons who hung on the cross, mm-hmm. uh, the criminal. Uh, one criminal was not interested in Christ, the other, and they're hanging on the cross. They're going to they're gonna die. But uh, Jesus said to the one who believed, uh, I'll see you in paradise. That's right. And then, so last week, I named uh, your the episode Blanche Believes, Fetterman, Faithful to Israel. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> and Plump 
a roof or whatever the Yiddish word was there. But anyway, uh, it's just a, a great reminder, Steve, of your family and and the testimony of the the years, decades of praying. Um, and God and God uh, heard those prayers. That's right. We talked about that, and I did thank uh, the folks at, in churches, individuals who I've met through the years. My sister has met as a believer through the years, all praying for her. Never stop praying, and that ought to encourage someone out there, uh, no matter how old a person is, if they have breath. Uh, there's opportunity. Mm. We pray for them. We don't know if they're going to come to know the Lord. We hope and pray. Uh, and believe that God's grace is sufficient. Um, last night, Steve, I had an opportunity to go and to moderate a Jewish event. That's so not, that's a tall that's a tall order. Mo- <laughs> a, a, a goy, a goy, a gentile moderating the Jewish group. It was fantastic. I moderated an event for the JCRC, which is the Jewish Community Relations Council of South Jersey here. Um, and it was featuring a woman that we're going to have on next week. I got her. She's going to come on the podcast next week. And uh, her name is Dahlia Zadaya. And Dahlia is actually roaming through the United States right now because she was basically run out of Egypt. She is uh, probably what you would consider a more liberally minded Muslim living in Egypt who defended Israel in their um, war against Hamas. Chris, tell our listeners the Egyptians, people, had no idea about October 7th. Yeah, Dahlia was telling me that uh, October 7th happened, and uh, the news that came in from from Arabic news was, oh, the Israeli army had some conflict. Eh, they had a little surus. A little surus in Gaza, no problem. And a few days goes by, and Dahlia had connections with Israelis, and she was doing a Zoom with some Israelis for an official policy type of event. Um, she's a policy wonk. And so she says, uh, they say, don't you know what happened? And they show her video clips, and she says, this isn't what they're telling us on Arabic television. They're acting like it's bupkis. And so uh, she she found out, and she immediately spoke to the Israelis and said, Israel has a right to defend itself against Hamas. Hamas needs to be destroyed. She told uh, Egyptian public, uh, public TV, TV Khan News Network, um, Israel has a right to defend itself against a terrorist organization, Hamas. Hamas should be destroyed. You know what happened? Death threats came to her from Egyptians. And now the state wants to sue her for treason. She said, if I fly home to Egypt, my name's written down. She, I said, oh, you're, I said to her in front of the group, you're getting kind of famous. She goes, actually, I'm getting so famous. She was walking around here and a Moroccan Muslim man saw her and recognized her face from Arabic news. And said, you shouldn't be doing what you're doing. Aye, you're, aye, aye. So she kind of got scared, you know. Uh, she was nervous. And so, yeah, her, you know, you might not have heard the name Dahlia Zadaya, but next week you should be, uh, we'll be interviewing her, which will be featured soon on the Jew and Gentile podcast. It's amazing what she has to ha- say. She actually runs a, a, um, a policy center called uh, the, the, Middle, the Center for Middle East and Eastern Mediterranean Studies. And it's all about liberal democracy. And so she's trying to promote liberal democracy in Egypt, and they've run her out. Uh, so, anyway. Isn't it interesting, Chris, that uh, in, in New Jersey, in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, they had Dahlia come, uh, and she's a Muslim woman, uh, and they weren't afraid to put a Muslim person on. They're not against Muslims. They're, they're not against a person practicing their religion. They're against people who want to eliminate them. 100%. And she's not one of them. She didn't know. 
how many Egyptians were in the dark, literally, concerning what happened October 7th. We take it for granted that we know instantly. So she did a tremendous service for Israel and the Jewish people. I'm, it's really exciting that they were willing to bring her in. And you told me it was packed oh, with people. Oh, it was packed. And we had Tikva team people. We had our Tikva volunteer team members that had come from Lancaster. Thank you, Kevin. Um, and, and that's a long that's a long way to travel. From Lancaster, Pennsylvania. It's an hour and a half or so. He drove out. And then we had uh, Gerald come up from Maryland to come. Gerald, I didn't get a chance to shake your hand, but I was so glad he came up. And uh, Pastor came from Bucks Pastor County. Pastor Ted and his wife came from Bucks County, Pennsylvania, which is another 45-minute drive, give or take, where, you know, depending on traffic. And so we had a great turnout from Friends of Israel constituents and friends. Um, so there were a lot of Christians there and a lot of Jewish people. And, you know, it's it's just amazing. Uh, they were all thanking Dahlia for her. It was re it's really a, a true sense of bravery. She says, I have to tell the truth. I have to tell the truth, even if it means my own life and is at stake. She is seeking asylum in the good sense. This is what asylum really means in the United <laughs> States. She, Her life is in danger. She was speaking truth. I pray for her, Chris, that she gets asylum. Uh, there's people coming through the border who, who knows, we don't know anything about them, uh, whether they really need asylum or not. We know she really does. It's all over the news. And so um, anyway, we're going to have Dahlia Zadaya on. That was fantastic, Steve, and uh, and uh, really encouraging. But we've got some fun uh, fun Yiddish kite for you. We're going to get started with that, even though we got our Yiddish word of the day That's coming. Right. That's all separate. This is a bonus, Chris. I was uh, looking at our the new the newish Jewish encyclopedia. We've quoted from it before, <clears throat> but I have two words today. One is... You know very well. I think your kids know it very well too. It's called Bamba. Oh, Bamba! They love Bamba. Bamba. Let me let me read something. I think is I was laughing my head off. Wait, do you want to explain what Bamba uh, well, is, or it's in well, the definition? Well, hopefully, it will be in. Oh. You'll listen. Bamba. You know who tend not to have nut allergies? That's the question. Israelis. You know why? Because each of them eats about 712 pounds of this nut-based snack before they turn four. <laughs> 712 pounds of nuts, which this is peanuts. Kids crave it. Soldiers dip in chocolate spread and stoned Students oh, melt yeah. it with noodles to make a poor man's pad thai. <laughs> it's not a bad idea, actually. <laughs> Sorry, falafel. This is Israel's true national food. Bamba. Tell us what bamba is. Well, I always like to say, if you like Cheetos, it's it's the peanut butter version of Cheetos. So get rid of the cheese and just add peanut butter, and now you've got bamba. You could get Bamba in the United States. Yeah, you have to. Now, I, I don't think you're going to find if you're living in Nebraska or you're you got to go to Amazon. You got to go to Amazon. But if you're living in, an, in a high Jewish populated area, you like could we get are, it, you could get it in Cherry Hill. Yeah, you can get you it can. around here in the United in in New Jersey and um, in New York. I've had it seen it down you in know, Chicago. They're all L.A. Yeah. Yep. It's where there are populations of Jewish people. But, but listen, Chris. 712 pounds How is that by awesome? the time they're four years old. What are they doing? I can't, I can't even imagine. In our, in our warehouse, we have a whole entire box, like a huge warehouse box full of Bamba, because we gave it out, I believe, in our Hanukkah boxes. We did. Bamba, I'll, 
uh, one bag of Bomba was in every single Hanukkah box. And didn't didn't you say that they the kids were already eating peanut butter before they were even born because their well, parents the, are eating their, Bomba? Their parents, the moms, eat Bomba. The kid before he's born or she's born is peanut proof. <laughs> They are. Not nut proof, but peanut Peanut proof. proof. I like it. Okay, so that's one. And this is in the B category, the letter B. So we were moving from Bomba to another B. Another B, bageling, which I've I've heard of Bomba. I never heard of bageling. Bageling, using one's Judar. This is. That's like radar, only it's for Jewish people. Well, it's funny because I would have never. I would have never uh, associated bageling with a Judar. I never heard the term before, but it is in the newish Jewish encyclopedia. <laughs> I'm just reading it. Using one's Judar, trying to figure out whether someone you're talking to is Jewish. So uh, that's it's, it's an art. Mm-hmm. And now we have a name for it. Yep. Bageling. <laughs> you casually bring up things like summer camp or drop a phrase like mazel tov. <laughs> Just to gauge his or her reaction, discreetly letting your obviously Jewish conversation partner know that you are Jewish by dropping the name of your summer camp or a mazel tov. <laughs> Bageling. So, so you're in a group of people. Uh, say you and I are together, Chris, and uh, you're, you're looking at the crowd and you say, hey, I, I wonder who's Jewish. I, I don't know who's Jewish. Well, let, let's uh, walk over here. Hey, mazel tov, Chris, and see what they do. <laughs> see if they turn. <laughs> see if they look at you. Hey, you know, it's funny because uh, we did some bageling recently. Some- <laughs> we did some bageling recently because uh, uh, we have somebody in Alaska who was very interested. <laughs> you know where I'm going with yes, this. <laughs> so very interested in wanting to volunteer with Friends of Israel. Um, and she... And her husband live, I mean, up in the no man's land of Alaska. And so they do a lot of dog sledding. And they were saying that Israeli backpackers come through and they were wondering, is there any way we can volunteer Explain our time? Explain Israeli backpack. That's really important. Yeah. It is a phenomenon. Yeah. So Israelis will leave the army at 21, 22, and they've saved up some money. Uh, and instead of jumping into college right away, they take kind of a gap year and they go and they travel the world and they go to big spots and do Australia, New Zealand, yep, Thailand, Vancouver, Canada, mm-hmm. the mountains in the United States. But of all places, Alaska, Alaska and to do a do- dog sledding. And so she says, you know, Israelis come through. And so I said, oh, that's a fantastic volunteering opportunity for Friends of Israel. It's great ministry right there. And then she says, and also she said, this is what my colleague's telling me, that this woman said that there is also Jewish Eskimos. When you told me that, I said, that's crazy. I have never heard of it until you told me their last name. Well, that was the thing. So I said to my colleague, I said, hey, look. Do a little research and see if this is for real. Jewish Eskimos. I said, I've hung out with Steve Herzig for more than 20 years. Never once, never once have I ever heard him say there's Jewish Eskimos. So my colleague does a little research. I can't find anything. She said, so I called this girl and I said, there's no Jewish Eskimos. She goes, oh, no, they're they're Jewish and they're Eskimos. They've just been so removed from Judaism that they don't consider themselves Jewish. They're Eskimos. Okay. I said, well, how can you be sure? She goes, because they tell her, this girl, that their last name is Goldberg. (laughs) (laughs) 
Did you, they should tell them a whole TV show was uh, devoted to, to, that's devoted right. to, the, to the Goldbergs. Yeah, Eskimo Goldbergs. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's true. Begaling. Begaling. Be- be- that's begaling. That is Gold- as- Goldberg isn't Mazel Tough, but it's close when enough. When you get a last name, you go, eh, ah, that's good. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll see if that works. I'm in. I'm right. in. So begaling. That is so good. All right, Steve. Well, uh, well, I have one more, Chris. Oh, this is hilarious. This, this is r- really interesting. You know, when my mom passed, uh, I spent some time with my uh, sister, who also lives in the same apartment that my mother lived in. And, of course, the hard part, and some of our listeners may have gone through this, is going through the deceased person's belongings. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's very emotional. And we didn't want to do it right away, but my sister was uh, wanting to go through some of the fun things for grandkids and great-grandkids. So she had costume jewelry and things like that. So they were opening up uh, all containers. All of us were together, and the little kids were grabbing, you know, necklaces, inexpensive necklaces and and all kinds of things. And there were some books in there. And my sister said, Steve, are you interested in any of these books? I what? And uh, she said, how about Yiddish with Dick and Jane? <laughs> what? She said, yeah, this was mom's book, Yiddish with Dick and Jane. Now, Chris, you're a little too young for Dick and Jane books. You know about them. I literally had Dick and Jane books in kindergarten, first grade to read but only Chris, this is this is the Yiddish. This is look at what it says on the back. This is you know, this is to get your attention. Your book has a thing on the back. My book has a thing on the back. Something so you pick up the book and you look at it and say, Am I interested in this? What what is this? <laughs> so on the back it says, Oy vey. <laughs> you a got pri- my attention. A primer like no other. You think? <laughs> what better or funnier language than Yiddish? to express those shades of feeling and nuances of meaning that plain that plain old boring english just can't deliver and who better than our old friends dick and jane and their little <laughs> sister sally to teach us and it goes on you'll plot you'll quell you uh you want to give copies to all your friends so new what are you waiting for already <laughs> so are you going to read one uh, i'll start off with uh, the beginning Yiddish with Dick. <laughs> I can't. It's hard for me to even get it out. J- Jane and Bob have two children. Their names are Katie and Scott. They do well in school, of course mm-hmm. they do, uh, and help take care of Max, Max and Whiskers, uh, a dog and a cat. What good kids we have, said Jane and Bob. Kunahora. Kunahora <laughs> means uh, knock on wood. And then they go poo, poo, poo. Literally, that's Yiddish. Saying poo 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 is to chase the evil spirits away. So how do you say that? Kinahora poo poo poo. Kinahora poo poo poo. Is that That's, what it says? No, they don't add the poo poo poo. But anybody who speaks any Yiddish, who knows any Yiddish speakers, poo poo poo. My uh, my mother did it all the time. It's <laughs> uh, crazy. So, so we we we've got great kids. We got great kids. Kinahora. Yeah, it could Kinahora. be wor- it could be worse. <laughs> it could be terrible. Like in prison. No, thank God. There instead of say, we say. Praise the Lord. Yeah. They say, Kunahora. <laughs> Jane shows Bob and the kids the pretty purse she bought for Ellen's birthday. Ellen is Jane's best friend. I wanted to get something nice for Ellen, says Jane's. I did not want to get a piece of schlock. <laughs> what is that? Schlock is junk. 
junk. And so it, it, here you have Gentile names, Jane and Bob. And Scott. Are, and Scott. And I wanted to get something nice for Ellen, says Jane. I didn't want to get a piece of schlock. Oh, <laughs> uh, this is so great. So we'll, we'll, we'll go further. Yes. But this is the beginning of Yiddish with Dick and Jane. I, Only my mother... Thank God for her. This is gold. That's gold. This is gold. That is absolute gold. All right, so we'll keep up with that. Steve, before we go to our new uh, study that we're doing. That's right. We finished Daniel. <clears throat> First, I'd like to uh, remind our listeners, because Steve did such a fantastic job with the Aye, Steve AI, AI Steve. You did a fantastic job, but I just want to remind you, FOI Equip is our sponsor, and we've got our mug on a mug if you give a $10 donation uh, minimum. Um, by going to uh, uh, gofoi.org forward slash mug. Uh, there you'll be able to make your $10 or more donation. We hope it's more because it actually helps to fund FOI Equip. Chris, we have a Equip class coming up. Uh, Thursday, um, Thursday, February 15th, Ty Perry is going to be teaching on the dry bones of Israel. It's a two-week class, so it's going to be Thursday the 15th and I think the 22nd, and he's going to be looking at the both spiritual and physical restoration of Israel from Ezekiel 37. Chris, this is really a timely course. Mm -hmm. We are seeing and have been for four months now uh, what's taking place in Israel. And uh, Israel, its importance— People are coming to Israel in the middle of war. Why is that? Because there is worldwide—I never thought I'd say this in my lifetime—this isn't a regional anti-Semitism. This isn't minor anti-Semitism. We've covered it in our news items. In the United States, in North America, Canada, United States, there is sometimes vicious Mm anti-Semitism, and it's springing everywhere. In France— uh, those who have more money and resources are buying property, apartments in uh, Tel Aviv and in other places, even in the middle of war because of what's taking place in France, in London, in uh, New York City, mm-hmm. uh, and around the world. And uh, so what Ty Perry's going to cover is an ancient piece of literature Yes, inspired by God telling us, telling the reader— There's going to come a time where it seems impossible. Can these dry, old bones that are scattered, they're not attached to anything, can they live? Mm. Can they have have life? And he's talking to a wise prophet who looks at the (laughs) vision. I love it. He looks at the vision and says, in his mind, I'm sure, there ain't no way. But then he knows he's talking to the God of creation God of the universe, the creator of all things. And what does he say, Chris? I'll give you the punchline. Yeah, what does he, he say? He says, only you know. <laughs> is anything okay? <laughs> that is very Yiddish. <laughs> you can do it. <laughs> that is going to, it's a great lead in. Ty's class is going to be, and Ty's a fantastic teacher. Um, and so, again, you want to go to foiequip.org for uh, FOI, I'm sorry, foiequip.org, and there you can register for, and for the class. And you can give them uh, this one, Chris. Oh, right, yeah, the, the right mug. Right on the mug. 
Oh yeah, we've got a new website, the Jew and or Jewandgentile.org. Yeah, don't make it complicated with the backslashes nope. and the this and the that. Tell them what it is. Jewandgentile.org. Go that, to Jewandgentile. A whole lot easier than the backslash. I want to bing. I don't want to deal with back show notes. That's all that comes <laughs> up in my mind. Show notes. Hey, next week too. We forgot to mention this, but next week you you and I are going to be in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are. We're going on the road again. We are. We are, we've been in Dallas. We've been uh, to in Florida. Florida. Now we're going to Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We've done one in Lancaster, Pennsylvania before, but this isn't at our conference. This is actually a fantastic uh, um, this group of people. This is for some folks who are uh, retired, living in a retirement community. And uh, we had uh, a, a lady who's very familiar with Friends of Israel, not so much familiar with with the Jew and Gentile podcast, although... Yeah, but she hope, might get scared. She she might be familiar <laughs> with us by the end of our time. <laughs> She's going to be like, what did I do? But our topic there is going to be... Gaza again, mm-hmm. a special meeting live. We're gonna uh, we're we're going to be with them and have our podcast uh, and talk about what's happening and answer their questions. Even have them come up, ask their questions. It's going to be interesting, Chris. We it's not like we practice this. Who knows nope. what it's going to be like? Nope. And I, we're going to haul all of our equipment out there. It's going to be a fantastic time. So, uh, but Steve. Um, we're, we're starting a new series. We are. And our new series is uh, really um, looking at the Jewishness of Jesus, Jesus in the Hebrew Scriptures. But we're not just starting with Jesus. We're actually going to start with some deep theological concepts. And today, uh, this actually all comes from Menno Kalischer's book, Jesus in the Hebrew Scriptures, The Identity of the Messiah. And I should not just say Menno Kalischer. He is Pastor Menno Kalischer and Dr. Menno Kalischer, and uh, if you're not familiar with Menno, he uh, serves with Friends of Israel. He's a church planter in Jerusalem um, with a very, very vibrant church in Jerusalem called the Jerusalem House of Redemption, Um, and so this is a book from Menno, so it's coming from an Israeli, a Messianic believer, all about the the, the Jewishness of Jesus from the Hebrew Scriptures. Exactly. This was originally written in Hebrew. Uh, and distributed, and it still is distributed in Israel. But because of the topic, uh, we decided, we at Friends of Israel, decided to have it translated uh, into English and are finding that uh, we benefit a great deal from the scholarship that Menno Kalisher, who is not just a pastor, he is an author. He has written more than just one book. Uh, he has written several of them, and many of them come from the messages that he gives every Shabbat. What? Shabbat? Kristen, mm-hmm. why is he preaching on Shabbat? Well, you know, we over here, our, our weekend begins with Saturday and ends on Sunday. And in Israel, their weekend begins on Friday, which is the beginning of Shabbat, Sabbath, and ends on Saturday. So Saturday is technically their Sunday. That's when everybody worships. And remember, in Israel, um, Christians are the minority. The majority are Jewish people. So Saturday is the day that everybody worships. Monday, Even- so a Sunday, the banks are open, schools are open, uh, people go to work on Sunday. Yep. Shabbat is their Sabbath. Saturday is the day that the church gathers, not because they're trying to keep because they think it's the right thing to do, or, or biblical. This isn't a theological nope. thing. This is a this is a practical cultural thing. Everybody's off on Saturday, so we're going to come in and worship on Saturday. Exactly. So uh, we decided, Chris, to take this book and to peruse it. We're going to peruse it. Mm. I don't know how long it's going to take us, but 
it takes it takes an issue that I just was submerged in for almost two weeks with my mother being first suffering the stroke and then uh, and then ultimately passing away, uh, being in that Jewish community and the many objections that people have related to Jesus as the Messiah, mm. uh, and certainly as Savior. And the number one issue, of course, is his deity. The idea, uh, when, uh, when I grew up, Chris, and was trained uh, in Hebrew school, <clears throat> I was taught from very young age, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The first objective, uh, objection, and the most passion that I had, and almost every Jewish person has, and rightfully so. If you memorize that, for, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There is one God. Hmm. When, you, when you read uh, uh, in Deuteronomy and understand the context of when that was written, they were just out of Egypt. How many gods did they have? Oy, they had, well, 10 were taken care of real quick. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Moses, shows himself superior. 10 false gods, including Pharaoh himself, who was regarded as a god. So the idea of the Christian, quote, Christian uh, doctrine of three gods, I always thought Christians believe in three gods. Gods. Mm-hmm. One time, I uh, w- was sharing about the Trinity with a uh, with a Jewish accountant, and he says, "Chris, you know, I'm an accountant, a successful accountant. And the last time I counted, one plus one plus one does not equal one; it equals three. So you're going to have to help me out here." And it, it, it's that's true. Very fair. Yeah, that's very fair. So what Menno does is he starts his book, and I and we've talked about this. This is not unique to Menno. Uh, this is unique. To Bible-believing Christians. Mm-hmm. This is unique. Here's what he says. In writing this book, I was guided by one simple principle, the same one that govern, governs my understanding of the Bible. And here's what he says. While reading the Word of God, we must endeavor first and foremost to understand the literal, simple, and direct meaning of the written Word. The Hebrew word peshat means simple, plain, straightforward. If the meaning is clear, then this is probably what God wants to say to us, and there is no need to search for hidden meanings. So the literal—this is so funny, because I've heard of Peshat before, but I've never—you know, we consider ourselves dispensationalists, which means if you think about the philosophy of dispensationalism, it, it starts with a literal, plain reading of the Bible. That's a big one if you're a dispensationalist. That's the literal. So really, you could say, instead of saying, you could just say, oh, we, we're push, we're Peshat. We we believe in the literal. That's the Hebrew way of saying it. Plain, yep. one, literal way boom, of reading it. One word. <laughs> the Hebrew word. I never thought But in thought theology, about one word isn't enough. You gotta <laughs> expand it. To you make, always gotta <laughs> add. It, that's right. You gotta make sure. But, uh, and so what's the basis for that in this book? Again, I really appreciate what Menno said. The psalmist says... Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That mm. that sums it up. Your word is a what's a lamp do? It it shows us the way. It directs us. It guides us. And you're a light to my path. That's from Psalm 119 and verse 105. So, the first uh chapter, he's going to talk about one God or 
It, well, actually, it's one God, three entities, or another title of the chapter is absolute unity or composite <coughs> unity. Mm. That's that's the question. So, Chris, when when God created the heavens and the earth and he made everything, he made man and woman. First he made man, and then, of course, uh, man needed a, a help meet. And so it tells us in the first chapter that the a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Mm. Think about that. The word echad. <clears throat> there are two people, one flesh. Mm-hmm. And and the, the Hebrew there is almost like the idea of cleaving is like cement. It's like they they bind together. Uh, in fact, in some, in traditional marriage, let no man how's it uh, asunder asunder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you said that at my wedding when I, you forgot my name. Ah, that's right. I forget everything. <laughs> but the point is, and there there are other verses that uh, <clears throat> Menno chooses to use, which I think are fantastic. So it was evening and morning the first day. It was evening and morning the second day. So that it's it's one day, mm. but there's two parts. He goes on in Ezra chapter three, and when the seventh month had come, and the children of Israel were in the cities, the people gathered together as one man, ish ichad, ish ichad, uh, to Jerusalem. So he says the context also provides the number of people to whom the words as one man refer, forty-two thousand. 360. <laughs> yeah. So one could mean two, or it could mean 42,360. So he asks the question, uh, uh, in each of these examples, the word, word akad, one, refers to one whole made up of a number of individual units. So the question becomes is, as we think of God, how many? How many does the Bible give any indication in the Jewish scriptures, mm. I'm leaving out the New Testament, even though I believe it's Jewish scriptures, but in the Jewish scriptures as to how one can be three. Yeah, I think the scriptures clearly define. And that. he does tell us when you go to Isaiah chapter 48. Yep. And why don't you turn there? You know where I'm going. Well, I here. was going to even start with Genesis well, and the creation. Start, do it. Go, that give the us spirit, both of the those. spirit hovered over the waters. It says it's the idea that there's God, and um, I'm trying to see here if I can find it. Uh, the spirit of God was hovering over the waters in Genesis chapter one, verse two. Now the earth was formless and uh, formless and empty. Tohu abohu, uh, darkness was over the. I love that. that I that's such a ring to it. I, I, that was my IJS days, my Institute of Jewish Studies. Tohu abohu, uh, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters, and God said, let there be light. But then, like you said, in Isaiah 48, there is an indication, I believe it's verse 1, right, Steve? 16. Verse 16. I wasn't even close. Verse 16. Isaiah 48, verse 16, says, Come near to me and listen. From the first announcement, I have not spoken in secret. At At the time it happens, I am there. And now the sovereign Lord has sent me endowed with his spirit. So that means... The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Yahweh, has sent me, which is his servant. Uh, it's a servant psalm, I believe, or the idea of like the son, and then endowed with his spirit, a third person. And so you see three distinct 
persons, one essence, one God, three distinct persons, all in this one Chris, verse. Chris, for me, this verse, I remember seeing this verse in my Masoretic text. That is, the Bible that my synagogue gave to me, uh, I read this verse. And for me, at least, by God's grace, opening my eyes, a veil removed, this is clear. There are so many other examples, but here, God is speaking, and now the Lord God has sent me and his spirit. Mm-hmm. I, I, you, I read that. I didn't believe right away, I, or maybe I did. I, you know, that happens at some point when you believe. Uh, and so I just remember reading this and saying, this, this, is unbelie- this is unbelievable. I never saw anything like this. It's never been taught to me before that this one God, but look, Son, Spirit, and God. The God who never is all places all the time, and yet the Spirit roams upon the earth, mm-hmm. and yet there's another person here. And then it was evening and morning, a man and woman shall cleave. Wait a minute, this word echad, that is part of the Shema, the the declaration of our faith, turns out that echad is one, but it's not that absolute only one thing. It's a unity, and we have to find out how big that unity how many components well that that's, in that unity that's what i was going to ask you too well it seems to indicate three here 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 yep. but in the word achad it doesn't it could it could go up to forty two thousand three hundred and sixty. yeah because yeah, i've always been told especially from studying um uh in the in the hebrew scriptures the word echad can almost be like an apartment building or or a hotel you look at it it's echad it's one building but inside of it are multiple uh, units within it, and it's the same concept here. But the question is, how many? And here it it's seems to be question. three. And you know, again, it's important to we have to identify this because this shows the divinity of Jesus, which ultimately is what he's put on the chopping block for when he is before the Sanhedrin. They bring blasphemy charges against him for cons- for the fact that he considers himself one with the Father. The way he considers himself a div- divine. And so this is, becomes an important part of how we understand who Jesus is. If you don't believe he's God, then technically you're not a Christian. And so this is very important to see him within the framework of the triunity of God. It's a hard concept. Listen what uh, Menno uh, cites Isaiah chapter 54 and verse 5, and he says, For your maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, and your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. He is called the God of the whole earth. Menno writes, the Hebrew words for maker and for husband are both in the plural form. Interesting. Indicating the plurality of the entities in the one God. The same is done in the following example. Then he goes to Psalm 149. Let Israel rejoice in their maker, plural, in their maker. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. So, the, he's, the word echad describes a whole, which we've said, consisting of many things. Mm. Chris, it, we've only taken about seven minutes or so talking about this. This concept is so foreign to the Jewish people, and we haven't gone to the New Testament. We've used Genesis, and we've used Isaiah, and mm. a little bit of, of the Psalms. <clears throat> so... First of all, if a Hebrew reader or speaker sees this, they'll get the idea much 
faster than the English speaker. But nonetheless, it's still a concept that is very difficult to understand. But very important to how the Foundational. New Testament— Yeah, how the New Testament and the—, and the um, you know, from a Jewish perspective, you could almost say it's the audacity of Jesus to consider himself God. That's what brought him before the Sanhedrin. That's what they used against him to get him to the cross, these blasphemy charges. But really, it's like you said, foundational to even creation, that we were created in the image of God. We didn't even talk about Genesis one twenty six and 27 when he says, let, let us, us yep. make man in our image, this plurality that's going on, which we can only credit to uh, of uh, the the proto elements of the triunity of God. So, Chris, I hope that the seven listeners that we have will buy seven books, uh, and they could go along with us. This th- we've we've had we've done the Temple in Leviticus, we've done uh, the, um, the Book of Daniel, we've covered other topics, but this topic is foundational, and not just to the Jewish people. The New Testament is built on what we've talked about just these last few minutes. And to pick up Menno's book and uh, maybe to follow along with us, I think will be really helpful. Which they can get by going to the show notes. The show notes! I put a link in there. You can go to our show notes and there's a link. I love you going to the show notes, which I had no idea what they were. Now I do. This is great. Why'd you just steal my... Oh, I stole yours. Oh, sorry. You stole all my news items. Way to go, Chris. All right, so we have our news here as we we, um, move to uh, what's going on in the Middle East and in Israel and uh, in the Jewish world uh, and all other things as well. But, Steve, I want to start here because this is a big one. uh, This comes from Axios, which reported that Biden issues an executive order targeting Israeli settlers who attack Palestinians. Now, this is an issue, Steve. Uh, First of all, um, it's hard to call them settlers. The land is disputed land. It's, uh, you know, that's, this is a big problem when we're talking about the West Bank, Judea, Samaria, is that if you talk to some people, they say Israel's the occupier in the land. But if you talk to other people, when they look at the legalese of the UN UN, um, charters uh, and resolutions, they say, hmm, Israel's not occupying its disputed land. Uh, it hasn't been settled yet. So technically, they're not occupying. It's fair game. It's fair game. So if they build, uh, the, you know, they have the right, the, even Israelis will argue, we have a right to build here. You can't be a settler of something you have a right to build on. Um, so all that to say that the Biden administration looks at Israel building in the West Bank as occupation. And then so if they're occupying, these people building are called settlers. Which most Israelis would, uh, you know, argue. Ah, I don't think that's true. But anyway, but but his this is an executive order that Biden's giving. I didn't know he could give executive orders because uh, apparently he can't fix the border wall. Never mind. That's I too th- political. I, th- I think Joe Biden would say, "Hey, it couldn't hurt." <laughs> so here he is. Uh, he, he's already put. Uh, I believe he's pulled funding from UNRWA. Um, which is the UNRWA, which we talked about last week. He pulled funding from UNRWA because of the terrorist activity going on. So he kind of sanctioned uh, the Palestinians, or specifically Hamas, through, uh, through the UN. But of course, what's going on now is instead of just targeting the terrorist organization, which is out of control, 
He's got to try to balance the situation. Biden's got to balance it. He was just up equity. Equity. A hundred percent. He was just up in Michigan, which has a huge Muslim population. And of course, as he's up there promoting who he is and touting his uh, accomplishments in his, his administration, he begins to push this new agenda that to, I think try to balance his approach between Israel and, and Hamas. Listen to what he's going to do or already has done. The settlers' assets and bank accounts in the U.S. will be frozen, and no one will be allowed to trade or transfer money through the U.S. financial system. Yeah, that's huge. That, that is huge, Chris. That means individual folks, and I think right now the number is four of them that uh, fall under this. That's four Jewish folks who are, quote, settlers, uh, who, according to Biden, have uh, violated uh, this territory uh, by occupying it. They're now targeting them. They will target individual people. If they have any assets in the United States, they'll be frozen. And it should also be noted that there are Israeli politicians who the Biden administration would consider settlers. And so, but it, but the thing that they're trying to to pinpoint are those Israeli settlers who attack Palestinians since October 7th. So they're saying that Israeli settlers have been attacking Palestinians, which is true, and it is wrong. We are fully against any of that, unless it's in self-defense. I can say on the Jew and Gentile podcast, we are 100% against that. But here's the problem, is that yes, it is a situation, but it's being dealt with by the Israeli government. The government exactly. is managing its own—it's a crime, what they're doing, and they're managing it. As the Axios reports, the Israeli government claims it has taken robust action over these last two months to tackle the problem and that it led to a decrease in the number of violent attacks against Palestinians in the West Bank. Steve, this, this is what—if I were the president, I would not be wasting my time if I knew that a government was managing criminal activity. The problem with Hamas— is that it is an entire criminal terrorist organization. And for some reason, he's got to try to find some balance between Israel and Hamas or Palestinians. Listen what Axios records. The administration had considered, all, including ultra-nationalist ministers Itmar Ben-Gavir and Bezalel uh, Smotrick. Oh, yeah. Uh, on the Bezalel? Bezalel Smotrick, yeah. Smotrick. On the list of sanctioned individuals, but it ultimately decided to leave them off for now. Yeah. For now. And focus on those who perpetrated attacks, the U.S. official said. So the prime minister's office comes out and says, <clears throat> excuse me, the vast majority of settlers are law-abiding citizens, and many of them are fighting these days to protect Israel. Israel's taking action against people who break the law everywhere, and they're for there is no place for unusual measures in this regard. So, exactly as you said, Chris, uh, here's a country that is a Western democracy that has, has a low crime rate, Chris. When there's violence of any kind against any people, as a law-abiding country, they will go after them. If they attack Muslims, if they attack atheists, if... if or if they are attacked, they being religious Jews, because that's that's really the argument uh, that the Biden administration is saying. Mm -hmm. You know, um, it it lends to the question and and to the the 
the consideration of when October, not long after October 7th happened, Steve, all of a sudden these Western countries like the U.S., the EU, England, uh, the U.K., they all start saying, you know, we need to push this agenda uh, to reinstitute a two-state solution. And it's so fu- you to, to think, you know, uh, a two-state solution, you mean after these barbaric acts take place, now all of a sudden you want Israel to make friends with the people that are still in power? And, and now you want them to have a state next to you? You know, it's 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 almost absurd that they would think that. But again, I think that's kind of the direction that the Biden administration is moving. I have to, I have to, he has to somehow punish Israel to show, as it says here at the end of the Axios article, he is said that the writer does a great job in highlighting the fact, let me get there really quick, in highlighting, oh, see, I lost my place, in highlighting the fact that Thursday's order came ahead of Biden's visit to Michigan later in the day. The state is home to the biggest population of Arab Americans. Arab American voters angered over Biden's policy on the war in Gaza could endanger his reelection bid in several key swing states. He, he believes he can only win the state if he gets those votes. And so now, again, this is a problem is that now Israel is a election talking point. Um, and it's and, and now the Hamas war, which is life and death for Israel, is a talking point for a president. And now he's just trying to go, hey, look, I've I've punished. I'm, I'm, I've got uh, I've got Israel on the line, just like I've got Hamas on the line. Yep. Yep. Well, Chris, uh, here's one that, you know, I remember when Yasser Arafat won the Nobel Peace Prize. <clears throat> he won the Nobel Peace Prize. Uh, then fast forward. President Obama won the Nobel Peace peace prize this is all has to do with the middle east with the middle east mm. is is there peace well i thought those two were interesting now we have uh and this is from allisrael.com this is joel rosenberg okay norwegian political nominees nominates unra for nobel peace prize is that uh yeah no no this is his all israel news is joel rosenberg i believe oh yeah it's oh, his oh, okay yeah yeah organization yeah. Oh, sorry yeah Norwegian po- uh, politician nominates UNRWA, UNRWA, we've <laughs> talked about UNRWA, for Nobel Peace Prize, despite evidence its workers were part of the atrocities on October 7th. Yeah, Norwegian member of parliament, Osmund our cross. Oh boy, we're great with names. I'm aren't telling we? you, I'd like to hear them say our names. Ay, <laughs> uh, of the Labor Party has nominated the controversial uh, United Nations Agency UNRWA for the Nobel Peace Prize, despite evidence that it has at least 12 UNRWA workers participated workers participated in October 7th atrocities committed by Hamas terror group, including the massacre of 1,200 Israeli men, hey, women, peace, and children. peace, 1,200 die. Peace, peace. That's right. Ay, 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 it's ay, a, so this is just a nomination, but still, it's how disconnected do you have to be to think uh, once again, that this is something worth. This a- is Michigas. Yeah. This is craziness. This makes zero sense. But uh, get in line. So much of Middle East politics makes little sense. No, especially with Israel and the UN. 100%. The, the UN and Israel is, uh, is a, a different, what do they call that? Um, when you, uh, the multiverse, we're in some multiverse, I'm, I'm just joking around, but where Israel, the Western democracy that has uh, plur- pluralism, liberal democracy, all these uh, things that Western people agree with, 
and they're the problem with the world, you know? <laughs> Only and then the human rights counselors council are heads head up by North Korea, Iran, Sudan, and there we are going. And they're the good guys. Yeah, they're the good guys. Uh, Michigan yeah, is exactly right. Well, uh, our own Sharon Goodrow, who works here at Friends of Israel, uh, gets excited about the Jew and the Gentile podcast from time to time. Another shout out. Yeah, that's right. And uh, from time to time, she hands me or sends me news items that she thinks would be helpful for us to cover on our podcast. Hmm. And this is an example of that. It's coming from freedomnetwork.com. And the headline <laughs> is, where is the Ark of the Covenant today? And will it be revealed to the entire world soon? Bum, bum, bum. Chris, this has been going on. I'm glad she sent this to, to us. This has been going on for years uh, and years uh, as to where is the Ark of the Covenant? Some say it's in Washington, D.C. in a crate uh, because of the movie. Uh, <laughs> it was a Jewish guy who made it. Yeah, that, That's right. And so we know that it's uh, at least some people would say ah, it's in Washington, D.C., uh, there's some who say it's in Ethiopia. There were a couple books written back in the 80s that uh, documented, they said, that it's being watched by oh, yeah, a group the shrine. of uh, people who are soldiers are guarding the Ark of the Covenant. And that went, and it's still, there's some people that believe it. Amongst very observant Jewish people, there are tunnels underneath the Temple Mount that say that Solomon built those and that the ark is there, it can be removed, but it has to be removed at the right time. Because right now, any kind of moving or shaking on that Temple Mount, Chris, we have a war going on with Hamas, a possible war that's going to go on from the north with Hezbollah, trouble in Iran. But I will tell you this, Chris, no, I'm no prophet. If there's trouble on the Temple Mount, I'm talking about major trouble where uh, the Islamic imams believe that the Temple Mount is being attacked by the Jew Jewish people, there will be World War III. Yeah. And so the problem is, and this whole article is devoted to the various groups who say they know where it is, and I've just covered them, but they believe it's underneath the Temple Mount. So uh, what's interesting, though, is that, as you said, in the end, is that the Temple Institute, where we go. Yep, we take people to the Temple Institute. I, I think it's important to tell our audience, too, about the Temple Institute, because if you've never gone to Israel with us, or maybe we didn't get a chance, because sometimes the Temple Institute has a finicky schedule. Um, and so when you go in there, it's all of the items that will be used in the future third temple that will, will be re uh, rebuilt by the Jewish people. And we believe the, there will be a temple built. And so do the Orthodox Jewish people. We agree with them. 100%. That's why we take the people there. But it was the one who I think oversees the Temple Institute who said that this, it, it will be revealed, the, the tabernacle will be revealed, but only... Not the tabernacle. I mean, sorry, the, the Ark, of, the Ark the of the Covenant will only be revealed when the Messiah comes. It, that is the number one belief amongst multiple beliefs but the number one by far is that the Messiah will do this. Uh, can I, Steve, just, I want to share my opinion on it. Please do. Because I think we have found the Ark of the Covenant. And I personally believe Jesus is the Ark of the Covenant. That's my personal opinion. I think everyone's digging around in the dirt and they're looking for the seat 
the throne of God, and I believe Jesus is the the Shekinah glory. I believe he is the Holy of Holies, all wrapped up. I believe that when he walked among his people, it was God's presence. Is the second person of the Trinity, we talked about that earlier, uh, sent to go and to minister to his people and to provide salvation um, through his death, burial, and resurrection. So I, I think a lot of people are always looking for the the lost artifact of the Ark of the Covenant, but I think Jesus came and he said, it says in John 1.14, that he came and he tabernacled with us, which is the idea of God's presence coming to earth. 100%. Sometimes, uh, you know, have you ever heard when you're hiding something, hide it in plain sight? <laughs> yeah. so, and that's where it is. People, ca- people can't find it if it's right in front of them. And uh, your idea, it makes perfect sense. Uh, it's certainly, uh, we, you read in Revelation that the Ark of the Covenant is in heaven. Yeah. Uh, and so, but I, I understand what you're saying. And maybe the highball knows. Yeah, I was just going to see what the highball thinks about this. What am I, a psychic? <laughs> <laughs> Very good answer. You know what? He took, he took the Ezekiel approach. Yeah, I'm not going to. Don't ask me. Only you know, God. That's right. Only you know. All right. Well, uh, listen, everybody, we've got a, a, before I hit the music, we, I'm going to let Steve say this Yiddish word as we go to our Yiddish word of the day, because Yiddish word of the day, Yiddish word of the day. It's not even one word. No, it's a phrase. It's a phrase. And I came across this phrase, Nishgoishen. Unich Goiflin. <laughs> now you've heard this before. Nish, yes. My, I, I've never actually said it, but I used to hear my parents uh, talk about it. And it, it literally, it means nonsense. N- it, no sense at all. No, but, nonsense. But it's more than just, yeah, so, sorry. It literally means don't climb up and don't fly. <laughs> so don't climb or didn't climb and didn't fly. Can you say the Yiddish again? Yes. Nish gesheugen und nish gefloigen. Didn't fly. Nish und gefloigen. Didn't fly, didn't climb. Didn't climb and didn't fly. And then the etymology of this, this is why we brought it up. The expression is a denial the divinity of Jesus. That's, so it's Yiddish to deny the divinity of Jesus. It literally means nonsense. It means uh, no, but they use it especially. This expression is used to deny that Jesus is God, mm. which, by the way, we that's what we talked about just in the book of Genesis. We didn't see the name Jesus. We didn't see the word triunity or trinity. None of that. All we talked about was the plurality of God, which opens up an opportunity for what later is going to be revealed. But when Jewish people encounter a Christian, if you if you encounter a re- very observant Jewish person and they say, Nishka Shoigen, Unishka Floigen, you better say, okay, I, I do believe that Jesus is who he said he 100%. is. 100%. Hey, it even, I saw it means uh, when pigs fly. <laughs> well, interesting, Chris. Here, Here's the same expression. Uh, if the horses get horns, that's Afrikaani. That's in, in their language. Oh, interesting. Uh, in Arabic, when salt blooms. <laughs> in Armenian, when the pig climbs up the tree. That is funny. Uh, and in Bulgarian, in the summer of cuckoos. 
that's the that's other languages taking the same thing. Nishka Shoigen Unishka Floygen. Well, we do believe Jesus died, was buried, rose again. again. He climbed out of the grave and then he ascended into heaven. Amen and amen. All right, everybody. Nishka Floygen Unishka Floygen. <laughs> I, I said it wrong. You said it wrong, I, but I, that's I. okay. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for being a part of the Jew and Gentile podcast. Something that we didn't mention during the episode, but you need to be a part of is our interest meeting that is coming up very, very soon. That's February 20th. Put it in the show notes. February, um, it's in the show notes. February 20th, you can go to foi.org forward slash outreach just to register on how, uh, to find out how you can get involved in the Friends of Israel, what you can do to help advance the work and the mission of the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry. Again, you can go to foi.org forward slash outreach to be a part of our interest meeting. Hey, thank you so much. We'll see you ne- next week from... Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We'll see you then.